Good evening. The church is made up of people. That is to say, we're made up of sinners. We're pardoned, but we're not perfect. But as people who believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we realize that in the Bible we have God giving us a way to speak to us and to guide us whatever we're going through. And as we begin to look at how God guides us and speaks to us through His Word, He has different ways to communicate His message. He'll communicate His message through explicit statements, commands, in which He is telling us to do things and not to do things. But we also find God's Word communicated to us in ways like things that we infer from the text, implied statements that are found in the Word of God. But one of the most powerful ways that God instructs us is through examples. I think all of us will agree that the past is a teacher. As we think about our own history as in our families or in our nation, we look back at our ancestors and we're grateful for the lessons that we learned from them. And often it's the case that we can look back and we could uh, look with a, a marvel at what has been achieved by our ancestors with relatively fewer resources and opportunities than we have. All that they were able to do. Or it could be that we look at some moral situation or some ethical behavior and we would look back at our ancestors and we would speak of how well they did and by comparison, the spiritual decline that we see. And if we're talking about something specifically, we might say that if they were living now, then these things wouldn't have happened. But you know, sometimes when you look backward at history and you look at the past and you look at a particular generation before you, you see in them an example of what not to do. And I think that the people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 are definitely such a people. We're talking about the generation that were involved in the wilderness wandering. And these were a people who were so faithless and disobedient that God washed his hands of them. And so the apostle Paul says they're an example for you. He wants the Corinthians to look into their own lives and to see their own traits and tendencies and see that these patterns of things that had gone on before could happen in their lives. And of course, as readers of Scripture, readers of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we understand that that's true of us. That those traits and tendencies that happened with the wilderness generation can happen to us. And so the Apostle Paul says, I want you to see them as an example of what not to do. He starts this chapter by saying that it, by example they ignored their blessings. Israel ignored their blessings and the Apostle Paul says that I'm presenting these, or, uh, I don't want you to be unaware brethren, how that all of our fathers went under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and they all ate the same spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And with all of these, God was not pleased, for their bodies were strewn in the wilderness. That's how he begins the chapter in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through verse 5. The Apostle Paul is saying that the Israelites in this generation were given everything that they needed to succeed. They were given one of the greatest leaders that humanity has ever known in Moses, verse 1 and verse 2. And they were given every advantage and blessing that took care of every possible conceivable issue that might arise, verse 3 and 4. But as Paul is writing to these Christians, he is writing to a people who actually have more advantages than Israel. 
They were in the process of getting what you and I have in front of us tonight. The perfect Word of God, complete, that guides us in everything we need. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We are given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that God has promised to anybody that lives on this earth is found in Christ and nowhere else. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And we serve a God who gives us everything we need. James says that twice in James chapter 1 verse 5 and verse 17. And so the message would be that we would fail despite our advantages and not because of them. But then Paul moves on and he says Israel is an example of what not to do. Not only did they ignore their blessings, but they indulged their flesh. As he continues on, he says that these things are an example of them so that we don't find ourselves among those who lusted for evil things as they did, nor to commit idolatry as some of them did, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play, nor commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 of them fell in the same day, nor tempt Christ as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them did complain, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's reading verse 6 through verse 11. Now here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I want you to review what Moses wrote about in several situations and when they had the opportunity to follow God and to follow spiritual blessings, instead they appealed to their own flesh. And you can just walk through what Moses writes in the first five books of the Old Testament and think of the incidents that he's referring to in verse 6 through 11. In verse 6, he is talking about the rabble that were among them. God had been providing them manna from heaven every day. But they wanted meat like they had in Egypt, and so they complained. And God addresses that and punishes those among them that complained. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4. And then there's a reference made to when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments. And here's Aaron listening to the pleas of the people saying, Moses, what happened to him? And Aaron leads them in idolatry. And as a part of that, when Moses is coming down the mountain, he hears them indulging their flesh and their desires. Exodus 32, verse 4 through 6. You may remember an incident involving Balaam in which Barak asked him to curse the people of God. And every time he opened his mouth, he blessed and said, and so he could not be successful there, but he enticed them apparently into sexual immorality, Numbers 25 and verse 1. And then there's the occasion in Numbers chapter 21 when again they're complaining. They're saying, you brought us out into the wilderness to die. We have no food, no water. What are we going to do? And God sent fiery serpents among them and the brazen serpent upon which they had to look in order to live in Numbers 21 verse 5. And then of course it's hard to identify just one time in which we find the statement that Israel complained. But Moses in reviewing what's happened in the last 40 years says in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 27, they complained in their tents. What I want you to see is the spectrum of the behavior that's involved in this passage It's a reminder to us that Satan has more than one way in, and we all have more than one weakness. In 1 John 2, 16, John says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And so as we see the, the tendencies that we have, we also see God's response to that. He's caused some to fall and to be destroyed, verse 8 through 10. And so Paul says, as he brings them up into our context, he says, I want you to see that Israel faced temptation and they didn't handle it right because they weren't looking at the blessings I gave them and instead they were listening to their flesh. And it's in that context that we find one of the most comforting passages, I think, in all the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of giving some resources that we need. Now it's not that we're not going to face temptation on Sunday. Maybe not even in the assemblies. It's possible certainly for us to fall prey to that. But as we find ourselves ready to go out into our week, we find ourselves needing to be armed. And the Apostle Paul gives us some suggestions by way of introduction That will help us to be successful. What he says is be humble. Verse 12. He says avail yourself of God's help. Verse 13. And he says run. Verse 14. Now these will help us when we get to the three resources in verse 13. That will help us to overcome temptation. He says to set us up for this be humble. Realize the tendencies that we face. That all of us find ourselves in a position to where we may stumble. We may stumble in an area where we never thought we'd be weak. You ever found yourself saying to someone, I would never do that, only to find that you live long enough that you did. So great a people as David and Solomon and Peter fell hard in temptation and surely they thought, I'm too strong, too spiritual to do so. So Paul says, be humble. Then he says, avail yourself of God's help. Verse 13. Isn't it wonderful to know that there is not anything that you will face that's bigger than our God? And then he says, run. Verse 14, my beloved children, flee idolatry. We can't hope to be successful in our battles with with, uh, temptation if we're going to embrace it, nurture it, and hold on to it and hold its hand. Joseph did not succeed by simply standing there with Potiphar's wife. And so what Paul helps us with in verse 13 are some powerful resources that can help us to overcome temptation. I'd like us to notice them together tonight. First of all, we overcome temptation through the fellowship of others. Through the fellowship of others. What he says at the beginning of this passage is that there has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. I don't know about you, but it helps me to feel better when I realize that I'm not alone in anything. I would guess, as I look over the the group tonight, that there are very few of us that can successfully hike up uh, Mount Everest. In fact, there are very few in the world. I don't suppose that there's anybody here, maybe there is, but I don't know it, who could win the Tour de France. You know what they say the hardest thing in athletics to do is to hit a major league fastball. Hiking, biking, and just about everything athletic, could we say that, so to speak, we're all on a level playing field? We're all in about the same place. You know, IQ tests have been administered now for decades, and there was an interesting fact that I read about that, and that is that 80, I'm sorry, 95%... Of all people who take those tests, score between 85 and 115. That only 5% score less than 70 and greater than 130. And so while there may be some variation in, in the auditorium tonight, we're almost all just about in the same place. 
Forbes every year comes out with a study in which they measure the average salary of every American worker. And I know it depends on the state and on the occupation and your gender, but the average American worker makes $50,000 a a person per year. And so we are coming about from the same place, relatively speaking, when it comes to the salaries that we earn. So as we look at ourselves in relationship with others, what we see is that while there may be some uniquenesses in the situations and the circumstances that we face, most of us have the same challenges and they have, we have the same opportunities. It helps me to know that I'm not alone. Solomon says it three times in Ecclesiastes that that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which someone could say, see this, this is new. It has been in the ages that went before us. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10, 3, 15 and chapter 6 and verse 10. And so when I think about the temptations that I go through in a general sense, everybody around me understands what I'm going through. But what I appreciate is the Apostle Paul would tell me that in a special sense, in the brotherhood of believers, among my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they're, uh, everybody that I go to church with, everybody that I'm involved in relationships and friendships with are going through the same thing. And so he would say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, that we are to strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and the, the foot that is out of joint, that it may be healed and not be that which is injured. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. And so the Bible tells me that I have resources with you and you with me. That encourages me that when I'm struggling with temptation, what I can do is I can find a strong Christian brother or sister maybe an older brother and sister in Christ, and ask them to give me some advice and to pray with me. Or maybe I can look out among my spiritual family and ask somebody to be my accountability partner when I'm struggling with some kind of a sin problem. But it also opens my heart and my eyes to the fact that there may be somebody else who's struggling, and I want to be sensitive to that and reach out to them. But God has given us one another to help us to overcome temptation. I want you to think about how the New Testament establishes that in at least two ways. First of all, Christian fellowship is established in the one another passages. And they're sprinkled throughout the New Testament. And they appeal to our heart and they uh, apply, they're relevant in the matter of temptation. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, Paul says, My brethren, you've been called under liberty. Only do not use liberty as an occasion to your flesh, but by love serve one another. I have an opportunity to serve and help you when you're struggling. Or how about Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, in the context he's talking about death, but the resource we give when somebody's struggling with grief is a resource we can give in times of temptation. He says, wherefore, comfort one another. You know what the devil would like temptation to do? To defeat you, to have you so wrapped up in guilt that you give up. And then the Apostle Paul says, talking about this generation of the Israelites, in Hebrews 3 and verse 13, he says, Wherefore exhort one another, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We've got to encourage, come alongside one another, and say, look, don't let this defeat you, or how can I be of help and strength to you? Or Hebrews 10 and verse 24, one of the powerful things that we have in the assemblies is that it helps us to consider one another. We do so, yes, as we're involved in worship, but we consider one another as we speak to one another before and after and as our lives are intertwined with each other. Or how about Peter's words in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 when he says, Fervently love 
one another. Or 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 when he says practice hospitality one with another. Through Christian fellowship, God provides the means where we can help one another in times of temptation. But another way Christian fellowship is emphasized in the New Testament is with the early church and their example. From the time the church is established, we see how they drew strength from one another. In Acts chapter 2, we see that they were together. We see that they had all things in common. And so I've got to establish, I've got to initiate contact I have got to be such that when I see a need that you have, I want to try to help that any way that I can. They had daily contact with one another. Isn't it remarkable that we spend a majority of our time involved with our spiritual enemies and very little time, relatively speaking, with our spiritual allies? Any way that we can touch base with one another helps us. They enjoyed being together. They also were those who found their joy in spiritual things. You know, of all the things that we enjoy talking about, and I have varied interests, maybe I have too many. I love to talk to you about sports, except when it's the Georgia-Alabama game. Everything else, I love it. I enjoy talking about outdoor things. I've got new interests, as you know, this year. I like to talk about those things. But the thing that matters the most and that should draw us together is talking about those things that matter most spiritually. And the early church did that. By drawing that kind of strength from one another, we find ourselves building immunity against temptation. It's helpful to know that I'm not the only one going through whatever the battle is. In fact, our Lord suffered temptation. Aren't you thankful that the Bible indicates this to us? That we, it was necessary that our high priest be made like unto us in all things, that he might be a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he was tempted in the things that he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of us who are tempted. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Or how about Hebrews 4 and verse 15, when Scripture says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God knows what we're going through. He has experienced it. He warns us. He tells us about temptation because He knows. He knows what we are made of. He knows. He's mindful that we are but dust. Psalm 103 and verse 14 And so as I'm looking for resources, Paul says, number one, there's the fellowship of others. We have on on virtually every pew individuals who can help us with the battles that we face. But there's a second resource. We overcome temptation not only through the fellowship of others, but we do so with the faithfulness of God. I want you to focus with me on the heart of this passage. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will, with the temptation, provide a means of escape. It helps me to know the common human condition, but it also helps me to know that I have such a resource in God. That Paul, it seems to me, tells us three things about God and our temptation. He says, first of all, that God is proven. God is faithful. Have you ever done a study on the faithfulness of God in the New Testament? I don't want to be exhaustive tonight, but I want you to think about some of what's tied to the faithfulness of God. Do you realize, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, that our salvation is tied to the faithfulness of God? If God's not faithful, then none of us are going to be saved. 
Paul in the second letter is even more comprehensive when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, that all the promises of, of God are dependent upon his faithfulness. Then we get down to our subject tonight in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 when John says that if we are penitent and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. His faithfulness is what gets us into Christ. His faithfulness is what will get us to heaven. It's that faithfulness that's going to help us when we're tempted to sin. Have you considered the faithfulness of God when it comes to the subject of temptation? How God offers up His proven nature to help us when we're struggling with the temptation to sin. Here's what He says. He says, bring to me in prayer the things that you're tempted by. Jesus has just started His public ministry. And in the greatest sermon ever preached, He teaches us to pray this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sometimes people will say, I just feel like God's not active. He's not involved in helping me overcome my weaknesses. And the question is, how faithfully are we taking it to him in prayer? Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with uh, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. God also says, see temptation as that which is going to lead you away from peace and true happiness. He does so through some of the things he says, like 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, and that's something we saw last week. Those that want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul, I want you to see the path that leads you away from that which would hurt and destroy you. He also, God does, his faithfulness, his proven nature, God tells us to see with a spiritual perspective the temptations that you face. Now as I speak to you tonight, I know, I don't know what they are, but I know that you're facing temptation. And it's probably not something that you welcome, it's not something you desire, and it's not something that you want to see persist. You'd like it to be done. And I think that's a healthy and it's a right response. But listen to what God says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that the trial of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What if I can look at my temptation as an opportunity to grow in my strength as I resist that, to build my spiritual character? God says, don't look at it as something that's just a curse and a thorn in your side. Look at it as a way to grow closer to God. Then we see him saying, see your temptation with an eternal perspective. 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for fire under the day of judgment. What God is saying is, look past today. I want to see the here and now. God says, see the forever. God's character is proven. His faithfulness is seen in who He is and what He does and what He says. And as a part of His faithfulness, God is indicating to us that He has proven. He has shown Himself successful again and again. He's proven. But He is also one who will protect. I love what He says next. He says, He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. Ever thought about what Paul is conveying there? Isn't that great comfort and encouragement? Now, depending on your version, 
it's going to say something like, He will not permit it. Now that doesn't mean that God is going to overtake our will and He's not going to intervene in our free will. He never worked that way. Even in the first century church in the miraculous age, He doesn't overtake us. But He says the temptations that you face, none of them are big enough, they're strong enough that they can go beyond where God will allow them to go. I love that word. It's only found 11 times in the New Testament. Will not allow. E-A-O. And how it functions. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 41, the demons want to speak and Jesus will not allow them to. That's our word. Or how about in Acts 16 and verse 7 where Paul and his fellow missionaries, they want to go to Bithynia and the Spirit does not permit it. Acts 16 and verse 7. This power of God, this authority of God, he says, no temptation is going to go beyond what I will allow it to. I don't know about you think that's encouragement to me. God will protect us. He will not allow any temptation to go beyond. He will not permit it to go beyond what he says. But he also will provide. And this is the other part of that. Not only will he protect us, he will provide for us. He says, he will provide a way of escape. Now, I don't have to tell you this. I'm not a math person. So I'm drawing on an an old memory. But I know that in math equations that there are variables on both sides of the equation. And on one side of the equation, we have our temptation. And on the other side of the equation, we have God's route of escape. Now they say in math that there are variables on both sides of the equation, but that's not true when it comes to God and temptation. There is no variable with God. I, the Lord God, do not change. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. His side's not going to change. And so what I've got to do is look at the variables on my side of the equation. God helps me to see when perhaps I am more prone to give in to temptation and he will help me with that. He'll provide a way of escape because he will not change. I ask myself, when am I more prone to give in to temptation? Maybe it differs from person to person, but maybe if I'm idle, I'm more prone to give in to temptation. And when I'm idle, I get bored. And maybe in my boredom is when I stray into giving in to temptation. Or maybe I give in to temptation more when I'm tired. Maybe my lips loosen. Maybe my attitude changes. Maybe my heart gives in because when I'm tired, I let my guard down. Or maybe there are times when I'm under stress. And I will do and I will say things when I'm stressed that I won't under other circumstances. And when I'm stressed, I find myself giving in. Or maybe it's when I'm succeeding. When everything is going my way and I'm so full of myself and my pride that I don't look for God's escape route. But God's saying whatever it is, there's always an escape route. I don't give myself a permission slip to give in to temptation because God is going to provide a way for me out of that each and every time. So here the Apostle Paul is saying, when you face temptation, I'm going to give you resources. First of all, there is the fellowship of others. There's other folks who are going through what you're going through. Don't think that they're not. We all struggle with things that are bigger than us from time to time. And number two, there's the faithfulness of God. And in the faithfulness of God, we know that He will provide, He will protect, and He is proven. Then we see that we can overcome through temptation through the fortitude of God. Of our own character. There are others. There's God. And then there's what God has put within me. That you will be able to endure it. It's not foreordained. That you've got to give in to temptation. 
It's not just so problematic that you're so weak that there's no way out of it. He says, you will be able to endure it. Roy Sullivan was a big, burly forest ranger in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. Did you know from 1942 to 1977, he was struck by lightning seven times. And he lived through all of them. I mean, it wasn't just like he was going back to the same place and it was a lightning rod and it happened over and over again. He was all over the place. One time he was in the tower in the park and he was struck. Another time he was driving down the road in his vehicle. There was a different occasion when he was out in his yard and he was struck by lightning. On another occasion he was getting out of his truck and was struck by lightning. On a different occasion he was checking a campsite near Skyline Drive and he was struck. On another occasion the man had a day off and he was just out fishing for, in a freshwater pool and he was struck. And when he got struck, one time he caught on fire. His eyebrows singed. His stomach and his chest received major burns. His shoulder was seared. His ankle was injured. He has been called both the luckiest and the unluckiest man to have ever lived. But when you think about poor Roy, maybe he would say, man, I just don't know. What what do I do? I'm facing such difficult challenges. Why me? So often we may feel that way. Why are these things happening to me? Why have I been going struggling with this thing for so long? Why does this persist for so long? But in the persistence of that temptation, whatever it is, God says, I give you strength enough to handle that. It does not have to overwhelm you and defeat you. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How can we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Seeing that we have been buried with him by baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, We have this opportunity, having been uh, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him, that the body of sin may be destroyed, that we should henceforth no longer be the slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Romans 6, 1 through 7. Paul is saying that when you face this temptation, you have the strength to endure it. So how can we find the strength to endure? Are there some ways that we can look within with God's help and overcome temptation. This is not exhaustive, but I want you to think of a few of these. First of all, try to project and to see what's on the other side of that temptation. So often when we're facing a temptation, all we can see is the perceived pleasure that we're going to get out of that and the satisfaction of it. If we could practice projecting ourselves into what's going to happen on the other side of this. Wonder how history would have been different in Israel if David could have just looked past what he saw as an opportunity to satisfy his flesh when he saw Bathsheba on the roof. In Galatians 6 and verse 7, the Bible says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That's what we can do. We can kind of project ourselves and see what's the consequence if I give in to this. We can also practice agape love in regards to the relationships in our lives. When we think about the fact that our spouse and our parents and our children and our Christian brothers and sisters and our influence in the world is at stake, if we could understand what's involved in love, 
That love is not only that which involves our integrity, but it also drives our ability. Paul says, love endures all things. If I can love with a Christ-like love, then maybe I'll consider my actions. But I can also practice the presence of God more fully. You know, Hananiah the seer, the prophet, spoke to King Asa. And he says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, running to and fro throughout the earth, that he may support the hearts of all of those who belong to him. I want the omnipresence, the all-seeing eye of God, to be a comfort to me and not a cause for my alarm. But I also need to protect my environment. If I can protect my environment, it will help me in my battle with temptation. I'm not going to be immune from temptation. Jesus wasn't. Jesus, at the very low point of, of, of 40 days in the wilderness, has the devil come up to him in Matthew 4, 1 through 10, and he's tempted. And uh, the Gospels say he left him until an opportune time. But I can influence who influences me. I can, I can watch for those who are going to distort my moral compass, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. I don't often use hee-haw illustrations in my sermon. But you may remember Archie Campbell and Roy Clark, and they were when they got together, you never knew what was going to happen. And one time Roy comes up to Archie and he says, I broke my arm in three places. Archie said, well, stay out of those places. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to protect our environment. We also need to arm ourselves. Jesus, when he did face temptation, what did he do? He says, it is written, it is written. The psalmist says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 and verse 11. To the fuller extent that we can fill our heart with the word of God, the better we protect ourselves so that we'll be able to endure when temptation comes. It's an incredible thing to me that God lays out for us through Paul's words this great plan for overcoming temptation. Because it's going to be a part of our lives. And we're not going to do as Jesus did. It's implied that he did it better than we did. Certainly he did it perfectly and we don't always. Because it says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. You and I can't say that. But God gives us a blueprint for how to overcome temptation. Israel never seemed to learn. Even as they were subjected to the consequences of their actions, they seemed to descend further and further. You take their greatest crime against God, they're complaining. And when they complained against God and God judged that, they complained even more. When God sends them quail and they had that in abundance, they complained even more. Or do you remember when God gave them Aaron and Eleazar, they complained and Korah and his company rebelled against God. Even as God judges them, they continue to do that. So what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 is, This generation is an example of what not to do. Instead, draw on the fellowship of each other. Draw on the faithfulness of God that will never fail. And understand the fortitude of character that God has given us the potential to possess and that we can be at work refining day after day. I want to remind you of something we saw earlier in this lesson as we close. In 1 John 1 and verse 9, John writes to Christians in another wonderful text of assurance. And telling us that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sins, he says to those of us as children of God who may be losing the battle with sin, 
That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In just a moment, Chase is going to lead us in a song of invitation. As a child of God, struggling with temptation, maybe you've been thinking that you can fight the battle all alone, and in isolation, you've been losing that battle, and you need us to pray for your strength and help. God has given us the resources to beat this. If you need us to help you and pray with you, we would love to. If you've not yet put on Christ in baptism, We have the opportunity, you can do that just as well on a Sunday night as a Sunday morning. We'd love to help you. If you're ready to be obedient to Christ, to respond to His great love and His grace by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of sins and being baptized, to rise to walk with Him in newness of life, we can help you to do that tonight. If you need to respond, why not now as we stand and sing?